We're in our last lesson of the Noel series, and I've got enough information to where we could talk about this for the next year, and, uh, but we, we won't, thank you. Actually, we're going we're gonna to talk about this for the rest of this year. Um, and, but we're in our last lesson of this Noel series, and we're, we're, we've talked about the conceiving of destiny within our lives. We've talked about expecting destiny within our lives. We've talked about last week delivering destiny from our lives. In all of this, we're using the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, as she uh, goes through the process of delivering, bringing life, giving life to a God-designed destiny that God has developed within her and is developing from her. And we're applying the lessons that she's learned and, and the story of her life to our own lives and, and seeing how we can move through this process in a very healthy and strong manner to where at the end result we're able to live and enjoy the destiny that we have, that we've produced, that has been delivered from our life. And it becomes a blessing not only to our life but to the world around us. And today we're going to be talking about the idea of living within the realization of our destinies. And it's a pretty big concept, one that I want us to, to, to fully comprehend. And I'm going to use a few more scriptures than I typically do in order to ground what we're talking about in the Word of God. Because we all know that it really doesn't matter how brilliant Micah Sutton is. And he's brilliant. So I've been told that, the, uh, the, the, uh, that doesn't matter as much as what's in the Word of God. Because what Micah Sutton thinks changes throughout the years. How I see things, things that happened in my life and, and so on. Different expressions of life, different lenses that I work through and walk through and use to see the world around me. But what does not change is the word of God. It is established forever. Amen. And so with that, we can, we can operate in the word of God knowing that what we've said today will last on into the rest of our lives because it was established in the word. So let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse number 12. The Bible says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. On the Mount of Olives, they had watched Jesus ascend from the mountain into heaven, where we know he sits at the right hand of the Father today. And so here he is. He has ascended. Now they're on the Mount of Olives. They're going back to Jerusalem, a distance of a half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. It's important to see names when, the, when uh, Scripture gives it to us. He, he says it's Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were consistently united in prayer. Now, would you read the next phrase with me? Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now that phrase is important as we move through this. Several other women and the brothers of Jesus. During this time when about 120 believers were gathered together in one place. Now it's important here to note that Mary was numbered among the 120 in the upper room at that time. Okay, So she's there. Now something happens in the following chapter that affects those that we just read about. And in Acts chapter 2, we find the first visitation of the Holy Spirit in the world in a very unique and uh, manifested way that was completely, uh, had never happened before. And, and now it's a completely unique moment. And let's read what happened in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. 
And suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And, this is an important phrase here, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an important phrase. And began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now the reason why it's important for us to to see that it says everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I want us to remember the previous important phrase that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was among the 120 that were there on that day in that upper room. And it's, it's interesting to me, it's important to me that we see it because this marks a moment in the life of Mary that changes her relationship entirely with the destiny that she has birthed from her life. When you look at the life of Mary, you see it right up front. You see that she conceived what God had promised her. There was a promise of the father. The promise of the father was given in Genesis, I believe it's chapter 3, where God said to Adam and Eve, and then he was also speaking to the serpent and speaking to Satan, who had used the serpent in order to deceive Eve. And he said, there's coming a day when someone... When you're going to bruise the heel of someone, but that someone whose heel you have bruised is going to bruise your head. The bruise of a head is a death blow. The bruise of a heel is something you can get over. It hurts, but you can get over it. And so he said, that day is coming. And what that was, was it was a prophetic utterance from the Father. A promise from the Father that one day a Savior was going to come that would undo what the serpent had just done in that particular moment. And so here is Mary, the mother of Jesus, having received or having conceived the promise of the Father. We read in Luke where it says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she conceived to to bring forth a son. But it also says in Galatians chapter 4, Galatians 4 says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. So it says here that when Galatians, writer is talking about in Galatians, he's saying that this, this, this child was born of a woman at the right time, sent by God. And this is showing the conception of the Christ child in the womb of Mary. The promise of the father being conceived in the life of Mary. So she conceives the promise of the father. Then when she parents the promise of the father, that's a different ballgame altogether. Because Mary and Joseph, they, they're going about their yearly ritual uh, within the, uh, their, their religious custom. And according to the law, they were doing everything they were supposed to be doing. They took Jesus to, he's around 12 years old. They take him to Jerusalem to worship. And now they're headed home with a whole, in the south we'd say a whole passel of people. But I don't know if you'll understand that. So a whole bunch of folk. And they're, they're, they're going home and they're looking around and they realize Jesus isn't with anybody. And so they say, oh, man, we got to get back to Jerusalem to go find Jesus. So they start looking for Jesus. And they don't find him on the soccer field. They don't find him on the football field. They don't find him on the basketball court. They don't find him playing his Nintendo Switch anywhere. They find him in the temple. And they're shocked by this. They're shocked because he is in the temple teaching the teachers. And they're listening to him and being amazed at the wisdom that he's bringing forth. 
And in Luke chapter 2, verse 48, it says, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I, your father and I, have been searching for you in great distress. Now Jesus is going to respond to his mama. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Notice that when Mary references your father and I, she's referring to Joseph. But when Jesus references my father's house, he is attaching his father to a house. He's saying, the house that you find me in right now is the house that belongs to my father. He's not talking about Joseph anymore. What we find is that Jesus is becoming self-aware, if you will. The destiny of Mary is becoming self-aware where he's saying, hey, my life is about something bigger than just daddy, mama, and me in the house. There's a bigger house that I'm part of. There's a different father that I'm connected to, and, and I need to be about his business in his house And we find him becoming self-aware. And and Mary and Joseph, she's conceived the promise of the Father. They're parenting the promise of the Father. And now here in the book of Acts, we find Mary being filled with the promise of the Father. And that's an interesting uh, context because you have the promise of the Father within the womb of Mary... The promise of the Father outside of Mary, she's living with him. And then now the promise of the Father is now within her. In Acts 2, 4, it says, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. But in Colossians 1, it says it in a slightly different way. It says, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles. So the riches and glory of Christ are not just for the Jewish believers, but they're also for the Gentile believers. And what happens when somebody becomes a believer in Christ Jesus and has that experience of salvation with God? This is what happens. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. So in this moment, Mary conceived Christ. She birthed this destiny. And now she is beginning the process of living within the destiny that she has birthed. It's kind of mind-bending when you start breaking it down. Because Jesus adopted physical form and physical life through the womb of Mary, was birthed from Mary. But now Mary was finding eternal life within him. It's a reverse of situation. And the same reality happens with every God-designed destiny that is birthed from every life. It's a strong place to live within your destiny. And here's the big idea today. If you are a note taker, there's an opportunity to take some notes in your service guide. The big idea is that living within your God-designed destiny is the objective. Living within it. That's always the objective. Living with destiny means that destiny is living outside of you, it exists outside of you, and oftentimes you can exert control over destiny. Jesus, clean your room. Jesus, it's time to go to bed. No, you cannot have one more glass of water. That seems ubiquitous. I guess Jesus did it too, I don't know. So, living with 
and exerted control. When we live within destiny, it means that we are now finding our identity as part of something larger than ourselves. And that we are now in it, but it is bigger than us. And because it's bigger than us, if we step out of it, it continues to live on and be strong. The goal is to live within the destiny that God has designed for you. In this, the biggest problem, the biggest struggle that we have is that when we start living within destiny, we exert less and less control, but more and more influence in the situation, whatever that destiny may be. It's a great goal for 2019 to start living within your destiny, but how do you do that? I have three points for us today, three thoughts. And thought number one is this, that we must respect your destiny. Respect your destiny. Those who lack respect for their destiny demand control or they walk away. If I can't control the situation, I'm going to walk away from the situation. The problem is, the bigger something is, the greater something gets, the further it reaches, the less control any one person can have. In this church right here, sometimes people will say, not in this church, but uh, you know, people over history and through time have said, Pastor, you can, do you control the church? And the answer is, the bigger the church gets, the less any one individual has control. I don't control this church. We have an elder team. We have an administrative team. We have the staff and the pastoral team. And no one person can make sweeping changes in this. Uh, you know, we can choose to buy red or blue paper clips. That can be controlled. But the bigger the decision and the bigger the church gets, the less control there is. There has to be unity within the, 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 uh, the leadership team of the church in order to be able to go in a particular direction or to be able to do any particular thing. No one individual controls the church. And the fact is, the bigger the church gets, the less that is true. And what ends up happening is that we more and more lead by, by influence than we do by any level of control. Well, the bigger your destiny gets, the more influence you'll have in the situation, but the less control, specific control you'll have. And, and when I think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, it, it causes me to take a pause. Because if there was anyone who should have had the, quote, liberty, end quote, to step away from the situation, from their destiny, for good reason, it would be Mary. She's standing at the foot of the cross watching her son, her destiny, die. And if anyone would say, if I can't control this, I'm going to walk away from this. If I can't stop this, I'm at least not going to support this. I'm not going to stand around and watch this happen, watch my son die a, a death that he does not deserve. Mary could have walked away and we would have all understood why she did it. But instead, Mary says, not only am I going to stay here and watch him die on the cross... But I am going to respect him enough to believe that he can handle the situation that's before him. I'm going to respect him enough, respect the destiny enough to believe that even though I'm watching him die, this isn't the end of the story of the destiny that I've given birth to. See, potential is there when destiny is delivered from your life. But it must be given the space to develop. 
I know some folks who, uh, with their children, well, I'll just give you an example out of our own lives. Tyrion, one time, I don't remember, five, six years old, uh, we went to Walmart because he had $5, and the world was his oyster, and he wanted to spend it. And um, so we were there in Walmart, and he had it in his hand, and I told him, son, put your, put your $5 in your pocket so you don't, you don't lose it. He said, I got this, Dad. I said, no, man, I, you know, it's easy to drop stuff. Don't, don't, don't waste it. He said, no, no, it's, it's good, Dad. I, I've got it. I'm not going to drop it. Fine, no problem. He went on. He had his $5. We found the perfect toy, the thing that the Lord had designed just specifically for him in this moment. And so he's excited. We're walking to the register. I said, hey, get your money out. And he reached down and realized he didn't have his $5. And I watched his face melt into a sob. And we walked around that store. I went to places in Walmart that I had never been to before and will never go again. (laughs) But I went there because I wanted to find that $5 for him. And we couldn't find the $5. And I said, well, bud. And he's sobbing. His, His eyes were as big as his head in those days. His head's grown a little bit since then. But great big blue eyes just pouring with tears. Sobs just racking his body. And I said, put the toy back. I know. (laughs) It was $5. I wanted to give him $5. $5 wasn't going to change my world, but it could change his destiny if he learned the lesson of don't lose the money or the whatever, the resource that you have. Take care of that thing. And we walked out of that that Walmart, and he didn't have that God-designed toy. <laughs> we got in the car and we drove away, and, and he doesn't lose money today. I trusted that the child that, I had de- that we had delivered from our life, I respected him enough to allow him to expand into the potential that he had. And today he treats money wisely, not that he has a lot of it, but... He treats it wisely because he's learned the lesson I knew he could learn. Respect your destiny. Number two is expect your destiny to outlive you. If it's going to outlive me, it must grow beyond me. Expect your destiny to outlive you. One day uh, I was mentoring this young guy who was uh, coming into ministry and doing great. He's got a great his future before him. And we were sitting there and I, just, I was telling him that the night before I was on the phone with some leaders from the church in Leg- at Legacy where we had planted it in Kona and it had grown. And then we moved to Tomball and, and left that church. And he was sitting there and, and, he looked, and I told him the church is doing great. It's grown. It's flourishing. It's all good, positive stuff. And he looked at me and he said, that must stink. I said, I'm sorry? He said, that must stink because while you were there, it did all this. But now that you're gone, it's doing better. That must be tough. And I said, you you have daughters, right? He said, yeah. I said, so it's your greatest hope that the day you die, they die too, right? He's like, no. Oh, it's your greatest hope that the day that you stop being able to support them, they can no longer support themselves, right? No. It's your greatest hope that the day, the day that you stop pouring into their life, they, no long, they grow no further than that. They stop growing right then and right there. And he went, oh, I see. 
I said, no, I'm not upset that they're doing better. I'm thankful that they're growing and developing because I want the thing that, I have, that we have birthed to, to grow beyond me, beyond my life, beyond what I do, how I do it. If, if God has designed something in you, it needs to grow beyond you if it's going to live past you. Praise God. It must. We know that churches die around us all the time. It's not our prayer, it's not God's plan, it's, it's not what we hope for. But we know that right now we're living in a blessed place. Pastor Ben talked about it. We're growing and developing and, and cool things are happening. But that's not the story everywhere. And I'll tell you when a church starts dying. A church begins to die the moment they decide one generation matters most. That that generation, that the way that that's done in that generation and, and, and so on, that that's the most important generation in order to reach, in order to, and to minister to, and to, and to appeal to. Because I can't deliver a destiny that outlives me if I'm not working for the future. If my focus isn't future-oriented, and too often we become more concerned with control than influence. And as long as it's within the sphere, sphere of what I have, what I can touch, what I can understand, even to a point what I can appreciate, I can control it. But once it gets beyond that, I start losing control and I I can still have influence if I learn how to live within the context of my destiny and I don't have to walk away. Now, few, few people would deny the importance of the future, but most people find themselves stuck in the past in some manner. The way that it happened here in my life in this moment. The way that it happened in that moment. That was when it was good. That's what is what, when it was right. And that's when I identified with it. And if we're not careful, we will hold our destiny back to the point of its conception. To the point of its uh, expectation. To the point of its delivery. And we'll, we'll keep it a baby forever. And it's a dangerous thing to do. When I expect my destiny to outlive me, that forces me to be consistently focused on the future, whatever it may be. Mary watched Jesus die and still expected that her destiny would live beyond her. I don't know how she did that. Some of you right now might be looking at at children who are dealing with drug addictions or alcoholism. Maybe you're dealing with, uh, you're, you're seeing a company that's going through some changes and some, some struggles. Maybe you're, you're dealing with something in your destiny, a home that is kind of feeling fractured right now or change and development is happening within it and it's uncomfortable in this particular moment. And, and you're, you're sitting there wondering, how can this happen? Well, here's, here's the point. If it's always like it used to be, then, then the little boy always sits on my lap and, and, we, and, and at 37 years old, he's still getting fire trucks for Christmas and, and, and other things of that nature. I have to let it develop. It must develop. It cannot stay the way that it used to be. Nothing, nothing ever does. And Mary said, I don't know how this is going to work out. And I'm watching him draw his last breath. But I'm going to trust that this destiny is living on beyond me anyway. And that brings us to thought number three. That in order to do this successfully, in order to live within your God-designed destiny, you must get to the place where you devote yourself to the vision 
over the expression. I've told the story of my uh, nephew, Caden. He, he was born with some uh, pretty distinct developmental disabilities. And that wasn't my brother-in-law, Kurt, and my sister, Reagan's choice or, or vision for their life. It wasn't what they were hoping for. Uh, it, it wasn't what they were choosing. When they were thinking about their son being born, they weren't thinking about a child with developmental disabilities. And yet, that is what was birthed from their life. And if they were so focused on the, if they were focused on the expression, then it would be easy for them to live in disappointment. It'd be easy for them to live consistently frustrated and disappointed with who and what Caden is. Caden doesn't talk like other kids. He doesn't walk like other kids. He doesn't interact like other kids. He sat on the edge of the bed a few months ago and he pointed at himself like this and, and he pointed at the bed like that and, and he told my sister that he wanted to go back to bed and she, she couldn't wait to share the news because that was an advancement in his world. Caden is a beautiful boy, a loving boy. He's a kind boy. I, being around him, if you get the privilege to meet him, he will bless you more than you'll bless him, I can promise you. He's an incredible young man, and they don't live in consistent disappointment because they are focused on a vision versus an expression. Caden is developing beautifully within his creation, and they are rejoicing over every single movement forward. But we can get, we can get con, uh, conflicted and we can become uh, confused and we can begin to fight for an expression over a vision. And most destinies are birthed with the idea, with the vision of positively impacting the future. But get stuck in an expression of that future that they're unwilling to let go of. For instance, if, if my son, Gavin, can I borrow you for a minute? You're not my son, I know, but let's just pretend like you are, okay? Let's pretend that, pretend that Gavin is my son and that, and that I have lived my whole life to produce Dr. Sutton. I want Dr. Gavin from my life. And this whole thing is about him being a doctor. And I, I'm excited about him being a doctor. And we, we're pushing for that. And we're praying for that. And we're believing for that. And you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. And then one day, he becomes the world's greatest scientist. If my vision is right, then I can rejoice with my son and have a great relationship with my son, who's the world's greatest scientist, world's greatest garbage man, world's greatest janitor, world's greatest truck driver, world's greatest. But if my, if my focus is on the expression of a thing, then no matter how incredible of a scientist he may ever become, there's always a wall between us. Because I was in love with Dr. Gavin instead of being in love and having a vision for a great relationship with a healthy, well-balanced, happy young man that I get to live within his life. So as he grows and develops, his life goes beyond my life. And suddenly now he's having kids and, and I, I should be having grandkids, but I don't. 
Oh, they exist, but I'm not in their world anymore. Because there's a wall between us. I'm, I, I, I should be involved in, in his rejoicing with his discoveries, but I can't. Because there's this wall between us. And I can't live within the context of the destiny that I have birthed because the expression of the destiny was more important to me than the vision of having great relationship and living within the destiny of my life. And I am afraid, thank you, sir, I'm afraid that far too many people get connected with the expression of a thing instead of being focused on the vision of a thing. And so sometimes, whether it be in a a home or a church. We birth something and it fits the culture and the time that we're in. And it's beautiful. But if we are not willing to change and morph and live within something and find identity beyond our own selves, then we end up finding that the destiny, it can't survive. And we become separated from our own destinies. My grandfather, you know I love my grandfather. I talk about him all the time. My best friend, my whole life. There's no one in this world. I will fight you if you say something bad about my grandfather. And then I'll pray with you and we'll be good. But I'll fight you first. But my grandfather owned Baton Rouge Electric Motor Service for 30 plus years. Did great business. And my grandfather's business would have died if he hadn't have sold it first. Because his business required, relied on windings to regulate voltage in electric motors. And the microprocessor had been invented and it was becoming more and more powerful. And my grandfather used to say, I've run a business for over 30 years without a computer in my life. I don't need a computer now. You can't do squat with a microprocessor without a computer. And he did not want to change in order to adopt the new technology, the new methodology, the new terminology. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to go there at all. And so as much as I love and honor my grandfather and I'm so proud to be his grandson, his business would have died because he wasn't willing to change the expression of his business to fit the culture that he was living within. I'm asking you, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging us as a church. There are people here who have, who, you helped build this church 50 years ago. And then God married your destiny with the destiny of the Wygans. And, and they were here this morning in an earlier service. And I celebrate them and what God did with them over 30 plus years of ministry here. And then, and then they retired and went on to travel the world and live happy lives. And God married your destiny with that of the Sutton family. And I don't know what all God's going to do in us and through us. I don't know the destiny that he's going to produce with us corporately any more than I do what he's going to do with you individually. But what I do know, what I absolutely know for sure is that we must be, we must be so consumed with the vision of reaching people for the kingdom of God that the expression of a thing, that may have to change in order to effectively communicate to the culture that we're in. But the vision never changes. The vision keeps us focused on what is good and what is right and what is godly. The expression allows us to communicate it properly to the world in which we live. In your destiny, are you living within that destiny or are you living with that your destiny?
Maybe there's some relationships that need to be healed. Maybe there are some situations that need to be resolved. Maybe there's some apologies that need to be made. Maybe there's some adjustments with destiny that you need to make in your life. I'm trusting and believing that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into those things. I've got way too much to say and way too little time to say it, so I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do what I am not capable of doing. I'm going to ask Him to talk to our hearts and our minds right now and divinely place within our knowledge and our understanding what, what adjustments we need to make in each of our lives as we change our relationship with our destiny and begin living within the destiny if it's in that place of maturity at this point. And I, I hope you get that part. So let's bow our heads together. Father, in the name of Jesus, you know what you're doing and how you're doing it. This, this series has built us and has stretched us and it's expanded our minds and our thinking. I, I pray right now, Savior, that you would do in us what only you can do. Show us where we need to be shifting and changing. Give us an understanding of the adjustments that need to be made. Help us to have the courage to live within the context of our destiny. Allowing the vision that you've placed within us to be maintained absolutely, even as the expression may need to shift and change. Mary trusted you. Her initial expression was as a baby in her womb. Then it was a child living in her home. Then it was a young man and somebody stepping into ministry. And then it was a one dying for a world that really didn't even accept him. And, and then it was as a son who had died. And then it was a son who was raised back to life by his father. And then it was as the savior of the world, Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray, God, that your plan and your will be done in each of our lives. We're believing you for it. We're trusting you in it. In Jesus' name we pray. And can everybody say amen. Let's stand to our feet. Elders, would you come forward? We're going to close and worship this morning. If you need prayer for anything, please come forward and let us pray with you.